If you have your Bible with you today, come on, turn to Galatians chapter six. We're gonna continue today in our series, asking for a friend, asking for a friend. And we've given you guys the invitation and the opportunity to submit questions for us to consider how we could address or answer through God's word through this series. And you know, one of the big ideas behind the series has been this, that God doesn't despise questions. That all throughout the Bible, there have been good, godly people who have had questions. They've come up against unforeseen, unexpected things in life. They didn't know where to turn. They didn't understand or couldn't understand what God was doing with their, with their mind. And so they were willing to ask God questions. Moses said, who am I, God, that you would choose me? And he said, what if, what if they don't believe that you are really sending me? And David asked God courageous questions. How long will my enemies try over, triumph over me? When are you gonna show up, God? Even Jesus asked the Father, a question, a difficult question in a painful moment of his life. You remember when he was feeling the weight of my sin and, and he was feeling the separation that sin creates between God and man that he had never experienced before because he lived blamelessly and faultlessly and in that moment he was feeling that weight of my sin. And remember what he said? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God is not afraid of difficult questions. In fact, the Bible and our faith is the answer. It's the solution to every challenge, every obstacle, every unexpected, unforeseen thing, every question or concern of your life. And that's the heart of this series is encouraging you. Through this, through this message, through these messages, through this series, we're gonna dig into some specific questions, but I hope it's also kind of putting that into your DNA that when you run into a question in life, no doubt there are many places you could turn, there are many sites you could Google, but would you make a predetermination that when you have a question, understand God doesn't decide your questions and would you be willing to bring your questions into his presence? Would you be willing to open up the Bible and say, God, what are your promises? What are your answers? What are your solutions for the questions that I have about my life? And I've encouraged us as we've been willing to kind of tackle some of these really difficult, courageous questions. I mean, it's, it would be easier for me to preach on some different subject matters, but we've been willing to tackle some difficult questions. We'll tackle a few doozies today. But we've been willing to tackle some questions like, why does a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? We've talked about what is the rapture and what does it mean and will I go and what if I'm left behind? If you miss those messages, go back and listen to them. We've been willing to tackle some different difficult questions because it's important that we do so, I believe, because of a few reasons. Acting like we know it all and we don't have questions doesn't do anyone else any favors. Shaming or embarrassing people who have questions about life or marriage or sexuality or faith doesn't do anyone any favors. We need to be willing to say, hey, you got questions? God's got answers. And ignoring or avoiding the tough questions doesn't do anyone any favors because it fails to cause us to produce disciples who can endure the adversities of life. There are going to be moments in your life where maybe all you have is a question, and I'm telling you, in that moment, God has an answer for you. There's truth to be found. There are answers to be found for every issue if we search out God's word, if we pursue and search out God's heart. But in the absence of the willingness to let people kind of ask questions about God and about the Bible and about life, Here's why it's important that we allow that because in the absence of a willingness to do that, the enemy will always be waiting, standing in the void to fill the gap with the counterfeit truth. About life, about marriage, about sexuality, about gender, about finances, about success. What is it? What isn't it? Isn't it? We need to be courageous to say, hey, you got questions? Come on, let's talk about it because God's word has an answer. In the absence of that commitment, the enemy will fill the void with confusion, deception, chaos that leads to division, depression, and despair. So, so come on, let's, let's, let's tackle another challenging question today. Who's excited to hear the question? And here, here's the first question. We're gonna actually answer four of them today, and I believe that you'll hopefully see what I saw 
that in some way these four questions are all kind of intertwined to a similar root issue. The first question, which was asked in a few different ways, and I kind of took those questions the way they were phrased and kind of borrowed language from each way that they were asked and kind of coined one way to express this question. Here's, how, here's what I came up with. If God is a sovereign God, do my actions and my choices really matter? And before we get into what God's word has to say about that, let's pray. Let's pray one more time. Lord, we, just, we ask you, Lord, would you come? Would you speak to us? Would you reveal to us? Would you remind to us, Lord, of what your heart is regarding this question and the others we'll tackle today? Help us, Lord, embrace and commit, Lord, to do, Lord, beyond a sermon series, commit to, to, to seek you, to look to you, to ask of you, Lord, when we run into a question in our life. But today, Lord, we just say we're, we're, our hearts are, are open. Uh, we're willing to hear what you desire to hear, Lord. Would you take an imperfect preacher, an imperfect person, and an imperfect message, and would you reveal your perfect will and your truth, Lord, because you're such a good God. You love, you love this church. You love every man and woman, every, every marriage, every family, every young, young person, Lord. You love them so much. You love them so much, God. You've got a good hope, a good future for them, Lord, and you desire to speak to us today. We thank you for that. We anticipate it. We receive it by faith, Lord, in advance of what you do, Lord. We receive it, and we give, give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Come on, all God's people said. Amen. Okay, so if God is a sovereign God, do my choices, do my actions really matter? And I want to encourage you that we can agree on a couple things, that we can also choose to, to disagree and still love one another if we end up seeing this topic differently. And I believe some things that we could easily agree on is that we really do serve a sovereign God. He holds the whole world in his hands. Psalm 135 and Psalm 115 tell us very clearly that whatever God pleases to do, he's able to do it. But my belief based on the Bible is that two things can be true they do not have to be uh, exclusive to one another. The Bible really is filled with a lot of paradoxes. In the Bible, in God's kingdom, we die to live and we give to receive. I believe that two different things that seem like opposites can coexist with one another. And I'm telling you that what my belief is, based on what I see in the word of God and what, based on what I've learned in relationship about the heart of God, is that these two things can coexist. That we serve a sovereign God who by his sovereign design has given man a free will. Galatians 6 verse 7 says this, don't be deceived, God can't be mocked, a man reaps what he sows. And so listen, there's a lot of theological debate we can get into, I'm not going to dive into a lot of that, I mean you could have a whole sermon series and a whole seminar based on that one topic and you could still leave half of people thinking one way and half thinking the other way. But here's why this, answer, this question rather jumped off the page to me because I appreciated the sincerity with which it was asked. I saw beyond, I didn't think it was asked from kind of a, a religious gotcha kind of a perspective. It was asked from with sincerity of heart, this, this idea of, hey, I, I know God's sovereign. Does, do the, does the way I live, do the, does the decisions I make, do the choices I make, does it really matter? And I'm here to tell you today that the way you live on this side of eternity matters tremendously to the heart and to the purposes of God for your life, for your marriage, for your family, for this church, for this city, for your school, for your athletic team. God has ordained it and established it this way that there's a divine partnership between God and man to reveal the heart of the Father and to advance and further the gospel of Jesus Christ. Life is a series of choices and decisions. Every moment, if you think about it, is a decision. Every moment, if you think about it, is an opportunity to make a choice. Every moment is the opportunity to say, I know what I want to say to that coworker of mine. I know what I want to say back to my spouse in this heated moment. But what is the opportunity to partner with God and make a better decision? 
What, what, what's, what's the opportunity that, that is before me to say, I, I know what I think about the matter, but what is God's heart towards this moment? Life is a series of choices and decisions. God has a dream and a future for your life, according to Jeremiah 29. God has a vision for your life. Proverbs says that you perish without having a vision, a revelation, something that you're living for and and pointing towards, that if you don't have that, the Bible says you cast off restraint. In other words, you live kind of callously and carelessly. God's called you to have a vision and a dream for your life, your marriage, your family, and your future. But the pathway to that vision is paved by daily decision. How are you gonna get there? One day, one decision, one moment, one choice at a time. Here's why that's important and here's why that's really good news because some of us have made some bad choices. And, and the Bible says, don't be deceived. Don't be, don't, God will not be mocked. You're gonna reap what you sow. Some of us have sown some ungodly decisions and are reaping the painful harvest. And, and here's why I wanna encourage you is that here's why this, this, this principle is so powerful and actually encouraging. Because if that is you, today what lies before you is the opportunity to say, God, I'm sorry for the decisions that I made that excluded you from the equation or that were, or that were all tied up in my own selfish, selfish interests. I, I, I'm sorry, would you forgive me of that? And would you grace me today to begin to make different choices and decisions that are more aligned with your heart and your word and your way and just watch how God will do what Psalm 119 says, where it says his word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. He sees the hope and the vision that he has for you, but he's saying, if you'll involve me in daily decisions, if you'll involve me in the next step, the first step towards that vision, just watch what I will do. I will grace you, I will help you, I will lead you, I will allow you to continue to move forward in spite of your past, in spite of your mistakes, in spite of the difficult or bad choices that you previously made. Today is a new day and it belongs to God. Surrender it and submit it to me, says God. It's good news. It's, it's bad news when you're, when you're sown things that, when you've sown ungodly seeds, but when you begin to just say, God, would you grace me to begin to make godly decisions? And I'm an old farm boy from Texas, and here's what I understand to be true, is that you're almost always in different seasons in different areas of your life. And in some seasons, you're reaping a harvest of good seeds that you've sown and good godly decisions. And in other areas in your life, maybe you realize that in this season, again, I'm an old farm boy, there was a time to plant, there was a time to harvest, and there was time in the middle where you were tending the, the, the field and you were pulling weeds. And I'm telling you, in our life of faith, it's the same thing is true. In almost every season of life, in different areas of life, you're either sowing seeds or pulling weeds. And, and you could be sowing seeds over here, you could be reaping a harvest over here, and over here you're realizing, God, I've got some weeds that have kind of grown into my life because I made some unfortunate or bad decisions or bad choices. And I'm telling you today, just be encouraged that, that if you will begin to surrender and submit your life, your marriage, your family, your future to God and say, God, the decision that I make today, the choices that I make today, I want it to be in line with your heart and your word. Just watch what daily decision will do. It'll help you get to God's vision for your life. Come on, if, you're, if you receive that, say amen. amen. Both can and are true. Can be and are true. God, we serve a sovereign God who's given us a free will to make daily decisions and choices that affect our lives and the lives around us. And some people make the mistake thinking that because they believe and know that God's word is so clear that he knows the end from the beginning, that it means that we don't have a free will. And listen, God's ways and thoughts are so, so much higher than our thoughts. Isaiah 46.10 says that God declares the end from the beginning. 
but it does not mean that we don't have a part to play. And I thought of an illustration that I think will help us today. How many of you have DVRs on your satellite TV at home or whatever? Come on, how many have DVRs? You can record shows and you can record episodes. You can even record series. Just push the button twice. It records the whole series. How many of you are old enough to remember not being able to have that technology? You, you were watching TV and a commercial came on and you had to make a mad dash to use the bathroom and heat up your hot pocket to make it back before the show came back on, how many of you remember that? Some of you kids in here are like, what is he even talking about? Ask your parents. Before DVRs, how many of you remember VCRs? Remember VCRs? And how many of you were the unfortunate souls that chose to buy a beta VCR instead of the VCR, you know, and that, it's like that technology that didn't quite catch on? And how many of you were some of the unfortunate souls who accidentally recorded over something really special to your wife you accidentally took the tape that had the wedding on it and recorded the Chiefs playoff game and you've never lived it down since. You know, you still are in need of marriage counseling, you know, to make it through. But these days we have these things called DVRs. This generation never really will appreciate what that was like to have to make that mad dash back from the kitchen to the couch when Alf was coming back on, you know, or... We have this thing called DVR, you could just record it. And how many of you ever recorded a sporting event that you were really excited to watch, but you had to go to like an, some kind of a work event or church event or something, and you were really excited to go home and watch the sporting event that you had DVR'd? And how many of you have ever received the text or the comment from the friend or family member that totally ruined the experience because they blew it for you and they told you the score? But, but how many times do you go ahead and you go and you watch the, the game, but you know the outcome? You're watching the game like it was real time, but you know the outcome. You're watching the game like it was real time, but you know the outcome. And just because you know the outcome does not mean that what you are watching from this perspective that earthly technology has given you, that you are watching something that's already happened. You're watching something that you know the outcome, but it's happening in real time and it's happening by free will. And if we can believe and understand this kind of flawed analogy that just earthly technology by our limited intellect, we've developed this technology to allow us to capture something to be able to watch it. We know the outcome, but we're watching it like it was happening in real time. How much more can we believe that a God who is beyond our thoughts and our ways, a God who has boundless intellect could devise a situation and a system where he could remain fully sovereign, but also fully entrust free will to his people to make choices and decisions about life and about faith and about salvation. It's true. He sees the end from the beginning. He sees and knows everything that you're going through, but don't allow that to cause you to abdicate the responsibility to make godly decisions in your life. It's a divine partnership, including regarding salvation. First Timothy two, verse three and four, verse three rather says, this is good and pleases God our savior, who catches this, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Someone say all people. Say it again, all people. Say it one more time, just for effect, all people. He desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of truth. Do you think that if God really desires something or wants something, that if he wanted to, he could make it happen? But is it possible that he set something up that's so powerful by design in which he is sovereign over the universe, but he's given us a free will to choose? And is it possible that some people will not come to what he deeply desires in his heart? because they simply refuse to accept the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. It's possible for this to exist, a sovereign God who by design has given us the free will to choose whether we will respond and to choose whether we will serve, to choose whether we will love. Did you know that love that is forced or automated really isn't love at all? 
I, I, I just see the heart and the nature of God along with the word of God, and I just see that if, if we're all just robots responding to the call of God, I don't know that that's really love at all. I think it's like we have a choice. And the world is broad in everything that it's offering us. And he says, but will you choose the narrow way that just says for me and my house, you could go and you could live for the world. You could go and you can serve the world. But we're going to love God. And we're going to serve God. And we're going to pursue God. So three principles that I want to encourage you with to live this out well. Regardless of whether we agree or disagree about some of the bigger theological things, about predetermination, predestination, those kind of things. And these are three things I hope that we can all agree on. Here's what we ought to do. We ought to serve, give, and live like it depends on us. And pray like it depends on God. And when God does something, when God moves something, when God shifts something, when God releases a blessing, when God gives a promotion, when God releases the the favor and and, and, and the provision, determine in advance that God always gets the glory. Give, live, Love, forgive like it depends on me, but pray like it depends on God. And when something happens that's good in my life, predetermine that it's only God that's gonna get the glory. I might've made some choices, I might've made some decisions, I might've been obedient to some things, but far be it from me to ever be willing to take credit for anything good that happens in my life because I realize that every good and perfect thing comes from where? And I realized that it's but, but for the grace of God go I. There's nothing I could ever take credit for in my life. The grace to say yes to Jesus, the grace to build a godly life, the grace to make good decisions that posture me for the blessing of God. I'm gonna do those things like it depends on me. I'm gonna pray like it depends on God. And when it happens, God is always going to be the one who gets the glory. Someone ought to say amen. All right, so, so that's the answer to that first kind of difficult question, and it's just my opinion based on what I see in God's word. You could take it or leave it, but I hope that something, maybe we'll, you'll come away with something, and that's just this, that, that there's an opportunity, a new day to make different decisions that allow you to step into a new day in God, regardless of what your past has looked like. Number two, why would a good God send people to hell? Ooh, that's a tough one. But it's not so tough when you realize what Matthew 25, 41 says, which says that hell has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Did you know it was never prepared or intended for a person? And, and, and you know, when we begin to read the Bible, there's really two uh, uh, kinds of, two groups of people who ask this question, and that's those who really uh, authentically wanna know, like, help me understand how, how this works and why it has to be this way. And then two, those who intend to weaponize it against God. And you know, the Bible is not the story of God sending people to hell. The Bible is the story of God doing everything within his power, sacrificially sending his son to pay the price for sin, pride, and rebellion that you and I were operating in to keep us from going to hell and to establish a way that we could experience a relationship with God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And I wrote this down. It it meant something to me. The price was high, but the bar was low. Jesus paid a high price so that he could make the bar pretty low. What do you mean, Pastor T? Do you remember the thief on the cross who was being nailed there for his own sins next to Jesus? And you remember how what Jesus said to him when he said, remember me? Remember he said, today, truly, you will be with me in what paradise? You're going to heaven. Did you, do you remember this? And just think about the concept I'm unpacking for you. Jesus paid a high price. The, the, Bible was, the bar was high. Uh, uh, the price was high, rather, so that the bar could be low. Jesus paid a high price 
so that the bar could be pretty low. That thief on the cross, he never served in a greeter team. He never served coffee in a cafe. He never served in a kid's ministry. He never gave an offering. He never showed up early for a worship rehearsal. He never ran a media camera or a, or a pro presenter on a, on a video screen. He never did any of those things that we associate with serving God and loving God and giving back to God. All he did is just simply in his dying moment, in spite of the fact he lived a life that was riddled with sin, he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ and he's gonna be waiting for you and I on the other side of eternity in heaven at the right hand of God. He's right there with Jesus, right there with Jesus. Because the price was high, the bar was low. Here's what it leads us to conclude and what I want to encourage you with. The, question, the better question is not why would a good God send people to hell. The better question is why would anyone reject the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ from a loving God who looked down and saw we had gone in our own way, each of us astray in our own sin, pride, and rebellion, and he said, Jesus, you're my one and only son. I'm gonna send you to make a way, and you're gonna have to pay a high price, but because of the high price that you're gonna go and be willing to pay, it's gonna create a pretty low bar for what people are gonna have to do. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't serve your way into eternity or into through heaven's gates. The only way that you could get there is by making an outward expression from the inside of your heart that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. It's Jesus paid a high price so that there could be a pretty low bar. And we can't take credit for it. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. Second Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. And I had a joke here about our wives getting ready to go out on the weekends, and I'm deciding that wisdom is kicking in. I'm not going to use the joke right here. God is not slow, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish. Say, say anyone. Uh, remember earlier we said all people three times. Say it again, anyone. He doesn't want anyone to perish. One more time, say anyone. He doesn't want anyone to perish. But everyone, say everyone. To come to repentance, that is the heart of God. Hell was never created for people. And the Bible's a story about God making a way that, again, required a high price but created a pretty low bar for people to come into an eternal relationship with him. All right, third, third, third question, brother, that we're going to try to answer. I told you we were getting into a few doozies today. I love God and I'm faithful to the church, but I struggle with sexual sin. Can I still have a relationship with God? So the, the, the question that is posed here, I'm about to answer here in a few moments in the affirmative. The question is, can I still have a relationship with God? Spoiler alert, the answer is gonna be yes. But I wanna take a moment and just encourage you with something that the Bible says something so clearly. First Corinthians six eighteen it says run. Your translation might say flee from sexual sin because no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. And I wanna encourage you, if that was you that submitted that question or you're kind of struggling with this and listen in some way or some season of our life because of our fallen nature, um, many of us struggle struggle with this, whether it's just lust or whether it's full-blown adultery, whatever it looks like, anything in between, I want to encourage you that the Bible is so clear. Would you begin to run from that place? Would you begin to flee from that place? Would you not allow yourself to become complacent or to settle in that place? Would you do kind of the principle that Jesus said when he said, it's better you to enter into heaven without your eye or without your arm. He wasn't telling you to harm yourself. He was saying, would you take some steps? Would you realize this is affecting me? 
This is influencing the health of my marriage. This is influencing my relationship with God. This is beginning to kind of mess some things up in my physical body. Would you begin to, to do what God said and run from that place? Run to a place of accountability in a men's group. Run to a place where you could get counseling from our pastors that's, that's, that's very private and very confidential where we have a lot of grace to just sit with people and say, man, there's a lot of people dealing with a lot of stuff. If this is what you're dealing with, let us help you. Let us encourage you. Let us counsel you. Let us pray with you. Let us get you some freedom. Let us get you some healing or maybe a root issue that's causing it to manifest in this outward activity. Let install protective measures on your phone or your, your device. Maybe you ought to even delete the app. He says, flee, run from this. But, the, but two, the answer to the actual question, I'm dealing with this, Pastor T, I'm struggling with this. And I appreciate the, the, the rawness and the realness of that question. But, but something just grabbed me in my heart when the question that really is posed was, can I still have a relationship with God? And I saw in action in that question, embedded within that question, the number one goal of the enemy because he's defeated and he cannot keep you from eternity with God, but he can begin to interfere and meddle in your relationship with God, your intimacy with God. Remember when Adam and Eve fell? It was the number one strategy of the enemy. He came and put them in a place of shame where they began to hide themselves and run from God. And remember, God came running after them saying, where are you? Where are you? He knew where they were physically. He was calling them back to a place relationally. And the same is true for you today if you are caught up in a sin. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. And God loves you too much to allow something like sin that is trivial and dealt with uh, by the blood of Jesus to keep you from experiencing a relationship with God. In fact, it's a relationship with God that's gonna lead you out of the sin. And that's the very reason... That's the very reason that the enemy comes and says, man, you really blew it. You really had those thoughts. You really did that thing, whatever. And do you think that God really wants a relationship with you? The answer is absolutely yes, because the Bible is very clear that we didn't earn it or deserve it, that while we were enemies of God, while we were caught in our sin, that's even when he loved you so much to send Jesus. So how much more now that you are endeavoring to live for him and with him, will he still say, would you just come into a relationship with me so that I can begin to heal your heart and set you free from that thing that you're struggling with called sin? Nothing can separate you. I'm convinced, Romans 8. I'm convinced nothing, say nothing. Say it again, nothing. One more time. Can separate us from God's love. Not death, life, angels, demons, fears, worries about tomorrow. Suppose your kids came to you and they said, Dad, if I ever got involved in drugs or alcohol or pornography, would you still wanna have a relationship with me? Absolutely, yes. What I want you to kind of think differently about whether those are the best things for you to involve yourself in or engage with, absolutely. So God brings a spirit of conviction to try to lead you out of those things back into the place where you're postured in position for him to release his blessings in your life, but never at the cost of a relationship. Just like I lead us every Sunday at the end of every message when I share that parable in kind of a paraphrased way about the prodigal son, just like that prodigal son went and did his own thing and lived his own way and that father never held him at arm's length. That father, in fact, the, the opposite is true. He was constantly waiting and praying and hoping and expecting and anticipating that day when that son who had gone and done it in his own strength and went and found out that the world wasn't all that it was cracked up to be finally came home to God and the father's arms were open for relationships said come home to me and he did a meet him at the property line saying hey you better take care of this you better give restitution for this. You better deal with this. You better confess this. He just said come come into a relationship with me. Let's begin to celebrate that my son has come home. 
And it's out of a place of relationship that you're gonna get your life back on track. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with this, Pastor T. Can I have a relationship? Can I still have a relationship with God? Unequivocally, absolutely, positively, the answer is yes. If you're grateful for that, someone say thank you, Jesus, and amen. Man. Jesus in John 14, verse 15 said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I think we gotta start seeing this differently. The common religious way to see this is if you love me, you better do these things or else. And is it just possible that we, we can start to see this a little bit differently that kind of leads us into a place of life-giving relationship through this command? If you love me, you'll keep my commands. Is it possible that Jesus is saying, if you love me, if in any way, shape, or form you love me out of a response to who I am to you and what I've done for you through the cross of Jesus Christ, if you love me, would you keep my commands because everything I've commanded, everything I've warned, everything I've instructed about in this book is for your good. It's for your blessing. It's for your benefit. It's for your provision. It's for your protection. If you love me, would you please live this way that I've made possible for you to live and that I've sent my word to shine the light on how to do it. If you love me, would you realize that more than anything I want for you is for you to live in the fullness of what I made possible for you at the cross because I long to bless you. I long to see you walking in my protection and provision that my commands bring. If you love me, please begin to live the way that I laid down my life to make possible for you to live in. Secondly, if you love me, keep my commands. The priority is developing a love relationship with God out of a response to the forgiveness of God. And I wrote this down, I said, I, I, I don't try to avoid sin because I'm following rules. I do it because I'm following Christ. God, God, God's not calling you to try to, to avoid sin because he's calling you to following rules and regulations. He's, he's calling you out of that life because he's calling you to follow him. And all you gotta do to get to heaven is put your faith and your trust in him, but now he's inviting you to a life of following him. And you can't live some of those things out and follow him because Jesus isn't going those ways. Which leads me to the last question that I got. I got multiple questions about some of these issues. And, here, and, and hopefully you can see how all these kind of tie together. I got multiple variations of, of, of these questions dealing with, with lifestyle and behaviors and sin. Some said gambling. Can I be involved in gambling Many, many, several people said, marijuana, can I smoke marijuana? Can I still have a relationship with God? And listen, some of these things are illegal, and I want to encourage you, if it doesn't call you to deny your faith in Christ, we ought to endeavor to be law-abiding citizens. But from a perspective of, of faith and relationship with God and the way that sin affects that relationship is the way that I want to answer it. And I want to encourage you that Paul has already really dealt with this question in the wake of the grace of the cross of Jesus Christ, which is so radical in its ability to cover sin, so comprehensive, so inexhaustible, that the early church was actually asking some of these same questions about different issues. They were saying, can we keep doing these things because you're preaching this gospel that says every sin and you're preaching this gospel that says where sin abounds, grace will abound much more. So they were asking him this question. I think pretty sincerely they were saying, okay, so if this is what God has done, we used to have to follow the law and these rules and regulations. Now you're saying just through Christ, 
we're forgiven forever. All of our sins, past, present, and future are covered. And they asked this question, can we consider doing these behaviors? And here was Paul's answer in Romans chapter six, verse one. He's, they, they had asked this question. He said, well, should we keep on sinning that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? And the answer is the first three words of verse two, of course not. No, we've died to sin. How can we continue to live in it? 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23, because here's where I wanna go with this, is that maybe we're asking the wrong question. Maybe the question isn't, what can I continue to be involved in and still be right with God? Maybe the question is, are these things a part of me living the life that Christ died for me to live? Because I can, I can kind of stay involved in some stuff and still make it to heaven because the blood of Jesus is that powerful, but I'm missing out on the opportunity to live out the kingdom life that God has made possible for me to live out. First Corinthians 10, verse 22, 23 rather says this, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. Your translation might say all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is constructive. And watch the context of this here. He says, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. He's saying, if you're involved in this kind of like, what can I continue to do that kind of gratifies my flesh and kind of keeps me tied to some things that I enjoy doing that maybe are a little bit questionable. He says, you're missing the point. You're missing the boat. You're missing the mark. He said, the life that I have come to save you into is a life where you are now partnering with me to reveal the love and the forgiveness and the mercy and the goodness of God to everyone around you. The question is not, what can I do and still make it to heaven? The question is, how can I begin to surrender my life completely and fully to the Lordship and the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think if we'll begin to shift and begin to think differently, begin to think that way, maybe when the church at large and when this church called Rev City Church begins to embrace this different perspective, we're not trying to just kind of do the minimal or the status quo. We're not willing to just kind of do what becomes acceptable. Maybe even in some of the churches, we're saying, God, you saved us and we're willing to go all in for Jesus Christ. Maybe we'll start to get our own answers to some of these questions that you guys were asking me. Maybe the context just needs to shift. Yeah, I mean, Paul, even he said, yeah, you have the right to do these things. You could do these things. But he said, but is it really challenging you and calling you to a life that's not lived for your own good, but for the good of others? And 1 Corinthians 10, 31, 32 says it this way, just further down the chapter. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, so he kind of makes an all-encompassing statement, watch. Do it all, say all, for the glory of God. So whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So the better way to phrase these questions and the context for these questions is, can those, are those behaviors, those things? Yeah, can the grace of God cover you? Absolutely. But can you do those things for the glory of God? And can you do those things, or when you do those things, rather, is it part of advancing and furthering the work of the gospel? in the lives of others, your marriage, your family, your workplace, your school, your locker room, your church, your community, this city, and this nation. Would you stand to your feet? Let's respond. Let's give the Lord an opportunity and some space to just speak to us individually and uniquely. Just as you're standing, you might wanna just close your eyes or bow your head, just whatever posture you get in personally. You don't have to do those things. But Sometimes it just helps to kind of block out the distractions around you and just focus your heart on God. And to just, just ask him, just say, Lord, what are you speaking to me? But what are you doing in me? What are you revealing to me? What are you reminding me of today?
Some of you, he's leading you back into a place of relationship with him that's been separated by that lie of condemnation. Some of you, there really is a, a, the grace of the spirit of conviction that's gonna lead you to begin to make some different choices and decisions. Some of you, maybe he's showing you the places where you, you kind of sowed some seeds that just weren't God's best and now you're kind of having to deal with the weeds of life. And, and if that's you today, I wanna just you be encouraged. Don't grow weary. Don't grow weary. There's a season coming. If you'll just be faithful to just begin, continue to just pull those weeds and plant new seeds, there's a season of harvest that you will arrive in in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your finances, whatever it is for you. Maybe some of you today, God's calling you out of that place of kind of lukewarm Christianity or casual Christianity where you're grateful, you love God. You're grateful you're on your way to heaven, but today the call of God is to really begin to partner with him to further the gospel and advance and build the kingdom of God. In your own life, in your own home, your own church, in your own workplace. You're just, God's just gracing you. He's calling you out of that place where you've been kind of complacent with some things and you're realizing, man, I, I, the call, the urgent need I had was for salvation, but God's ultimate goal for my life is transformation. I'm called to be like Christ. I'm called to have the mind of Christ. I'm called to be more and more and more and more formed and made and fashioned into the image of Christ. And so if whatever, whatever is speaking to you, those are just a few things maybe where the Holy Spirit's working in people's lives today. Anywhere in between, just receive it today. Grab a hold of it today. Don't let it slip through your fingers today. And while you're maybe staying in that posture, let me take a moment and just give people the opportunity. I referenced it earlier, the, that parable of the prodigal son or daughter. And, and this is that moment for some people today. In, in this room online, I, I know it's true. I can just sense it in my spirit. That there's some of you who you, you, you know God, you knew God, you loved God. Maybe you grew up in the church, but you've just, you've made some different choices You've gone a different direction with your life. And today, regardless of what happened, you, you're, you're, you're far from him. And this is your moment to, to come home to him. This is your moment to make that determination, say, man, the world and all that it had to offer wasn't what it was cracked up to be. And, and I'm coming back home to my father because it's in relationship with him. It's in his house where I'm gonna find the blessing of life that he has for me. And so maybe that's you, you you've drifted from God. Or maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you, you've never responded to the free gift of salvation that you cannot earn, you cannot deserve. You can't get good enough to deserve it. It's a free gift. Jesus paid a high price so that that bar could be pretty low and it's gonna welcome you today into a new life, a fresh start, one in which all the pain, the sin, the guilt, the shame, the condemnation of your past is washed away, wiped away. It's a clean slate. It's powerful. So if that's you today and, and you're in either one of those camps or anywhere in between right now, this is your moment. With heads bowed, with eyes closed, here's what I wanna ask you to do as an outward sign of what he's doing as an inward work in your heart. Would you just lift your hand and just say, that's me. That's me, I need to come home to my father. That's me, I've gone and tried to do it my own way or the world's way. And it's left me longing, it's left me lonely. Or maybe you say, I need forgiveness. I'm weighed down. I'm burdened today by the weight of my sin. 
just, just lift your hand, just a simple outward gesture. And if you, if you raise your hand in this room and online, you could lower it now, you could lower it and everyone could look up. Some amazing people came home to, to God today, said yes to Jesus. Here, here's what we're gonna do. If you're part of this church, you know what's coming. We're gonna pray this prayer with you if you raise your hand, with you. Because we don't wanna put you on the spot or isolate you. We wanna quickly, right now, this moment, show you that there's a church family, there are brothers and sisters in Christ. Come on, we wanna come alongside you. We wanna help you, serve you, pray with you, encourage you. If you stumble, we'll help you get up and keep moving towards God's destiny for your life. And the second reason we do it is it just reminds us every week, it keeps us anchored to the reality that anything God could ever do as he's growing us in our faith and maturing us in our relationship with Christ is all built on the unmerited grace of Jesus Christ. It's why we pray this together every week, those two reasons. So come on, there were, some, there were some amazing people that came home to God today. Let's pray this prayer with some fresh boldness. Come on, repeat after me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I recognize my need for a savior. And I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price I couldn't pay to make a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start. And I give you my life and I give you my trust. And because of Jesus, come on, say it loudly. I will never be the same and then rejoice from all of heaven. Come on for those precious people who came home to him today. Hey, God's good. God is so good. Hey, let's worship together one more time. Let's worship together one more time, one more moment. And then we'll come, we'll dismiss you, get you about your day.